0: Oh, I got his
1: ass now! You have to be fast in the truck. I hate that guy. This race could change the rest of your life.
2: Those absolute clowns at 15BMX.com. Go on, do my best on whatever happens then It's good. My bottle got stretched a little bit. And I got a tight little butt.
0: Look, I'm about to light this shit up. <laughs>
2: Coffee chatter live. Where are you guys
0: at? Oh, Canada! Coming out of the answer tent right now.
1: Pop Dog, millionaire! Let's make some noise. Sorry, Nighthawk! Whoa!
2: Show 183, Sarah Walker, 2012 Olympic silver medalist. Be interesting to hear what she's up to now. And yeah, fantastic career she had, world champion, Olympic silver medalist. So, palm day we haven't done and we're i mean people don't really care when we record these shows but we haven't done a legit evening show in a while it is currently 7:40 p.m local time
0: it's been a while since i had to do one of these hey we're pretty good yes. at, we're pretty good at getting a good late morning maybe a lunchtime early mm. afternoon kind of deal um schedules are changed a little bit for the next little while here so we're gonna have some evening pods on the horizon from the boys i don't know how I don't know how good that is for our energy levels. We're both kind of like morning people, not super late night guys.
2: Yeah. yeah, I feel like when we first started the show, we were very sporadic when we recorded it each week, and I feel like now we—it's we, always pro. It's pretty much always Monday, <laughs> and it's always like, it's like kind of like before dinner or maybe like a midday around lunchtime show is kind of our window.
0: Yeah, it feels a little weird. I'll be honest. Everything in my schedule this evening has been not comfortable everything feels a little off everything's a little janky right now but we're just kind of working through it. it's one of those nights yeah yeah i usually go low stimulation in the evening try to hey try to get to bed like so you can go to bed calm
2: yeah i so i usually don't do a whole lot in the evenings like just whatever have dinner and then hang out and watch tv
0: people yeah. might not think this is high stimulation but like for us here chatting when you're just in it oh and talking, it's extremely it's, oh, oh my god i get yeah. i exit these pods and i'm like gosh i need a take it like a breath right now that was a lot
2: oh podcasts are extremely high stimulation yeah. yeah
0: like obviously it's just a casual chat a lot of the time but at the same time the casual chat normally turns into us getting way too hyped over things having to laugh about <laughs> so many other things and then also just trying to dive into so many other interesting things with the guests that it's yeah so it's a little different
2: Pro- progate europe winning starts the great gate sarah walker popping out 2011 progate europe world cup winner
0: Dude, she's, had, she's popped some some really, really fast gates off in her career. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal stats that she has to um, to hold under her belt there. And she has absolutely popped them off at a pro-gate Europe. She knows what she likes. It's pro-gate Europe.
2: Like we said last show, you can't be start. It's 2023, people. Fucking wake up. You can't be practicing on some janky-ass little home-rigged gate. It's got to be a pro-gate Europe. Wake up.
0: It's got to be. They have them down in New Zealand. You can have one in Europe. You can have one in Australia. You can have one in the U.S., Canada, wherever you are. They're legitimately worldwide people.
2: Um, in current news, big storm hitting California, especially NorCal, and I think pockets of Central and and um, I think LA areas as well, like Santa Barbara. And so, I hope uh, hope everyone in California right now is is safe, and anyone who's being affected by the storm is um gonna be okay yeah it's pretty pretty gnarly in a lot of areas we're pretty good here in san diego we just had some rain and nothing crazy but yeah other areas of the state are getting hammered
0: Dude, i so i watched your story and i couldn't even believe that was happening i was like i mean you forget sometimes where you are how like we're very close i feel like in the world people like we're far mm-hmm. away to some people but to me we're very close and we had a beautiful day here and i just think you have a beautiful day every day especially when we have a good one and then i saw your story and i was like holy smokes like you guys are getting a yeah. shit ton of rain. Absolutely pouring rain yeah. today,
2: um, dude. I swear, last year it rained like eight days out of the year, and this year it's already rained quite a bit. This is these first couple of weeks of Jan, and yeah, today was pouring. It's it's actually, I mean, it's desert obviously, but it's pretty green right now for a desert.
0: I mean, when I was down there for a little while, it was already feeling like decently nice, nice and green. It's been more than more than then, not that people know what that was like. Yeah, like it.
2: <laughs> It's more green it's more green than usual.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, I mean, for Cali, that's great. You guys need that. You guys are kinda of, yeah. it's kind of gray and or brownish and yeah. <laughs> it's been <abandoned> in <laughs> a drought for thirty years.
2: <laughs> anyway, yeah, I hope everyone hope everyone listening is safe and okay in in Cali. Uh,
0: talking about some of the gates that Sarah popped off. I just rewatched her uh, two thousand nine World Championship win um i didn't realize she was only like 21 there i think she's pretty young so that was pretty cool Adelaide, yeah yeah, yeah. um
2: side note so you know i said papanel 2011 for that that win it, it, so you know that i posted on my story yesterday that old photo of it like <laughs> the guys climbing on the box drum with papanel trying to make it around yep that was whatever 11 years ago now and to me, it doesn't seem like that long ago. But some people are messing with me, like, dude, when was this? It's like, <laughs> how do you not know when the fuck that was? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's like the that's like the, the old ages, right there. Like that's you know, well, I gotta stink say, dinosaurs too, that, back that,
2: then. That was like that. T- that was the first Pop and Doll, and I feel like that one was a noteworthy one because it was the first one, and the track was just fucking gnarly. Like, s- jumped on the container; it was a whole thing. I mean, even if you. I guess even if you weren't around then you should i mean i'm surprised that some people don't know because generally people know about i don't know like the beijing test event and like i don't know when supercross was in woodward and stuff i would consider it somewhat like that in the sense you know because it was the first one and all that
0: you know it's weird though you go to look that one up i feel like it's harder to find and like as i say that i look it up right as now it, and i see a I see instant yeah. video of sarah or the girls final but it's not a more common one for some reason it wasn't as common. I don't know what what it is like about it, but I felt like it was always a little harder to find. UCI is just trying to hide it. Like, yeah, it wasn't our best luck. We're just going to sweep. <laughs> we like, just to like it up, at all the newest Papandals like come up. So,
2: just like how it's come out, the governments were influencing Twitter. UCI's like, all right, guys, YouTube, like you need to take this shit
0: down. <laughs> we guess we can't be we can't be flaunting this one around. You guys <laughs> need to lock it up. <laughs>
2: uh yeah that was that was something that box jump are you kidding me what a what a what a joke that we had to do that dude looking back it's just laugh out loud funny that we were jumping onto a container
0: it's insane like first off the whole idea which was a good try but like the berm jump first straight was an insane to think about like think about how fast we go to triple and now you guys had to try to do a berm jump but but at the same time figure out how if you need to push down or not the first time like good luck with that
2: not to mention at the berm jump, I think you got like six full revolutions. So you were just <laughs> yeah. all on out, all out <laughs> sprint for six revolutions. And <sighs> people might not think of it. When you're going 60, 65K or 40 miles an hour or whatever, you get six full revs at a berm jump. It's not like a, it's not a normal, like comfortable feeling.
0: No, no, it's really not. There's only like... There's only one time in my entire life, I, I want to say, that I have a legitimately gone 100% full speed as fast as I possibly could at a, a single pro section, and the jumps were extremely massive. That was in Chula, the, mm-hmm. the, the track right now. And, like, you guys are doing that over a freaking berm jump, though, just, like, with eight other guys beside you. No no thanks. That's insane.
2: Very unsafe to have on the first jump. We'll just say ve- or on the first straight, <laughs> very, very unsafe.
0: You know I talk about it safe it was it was unsafe for the girls if you tell if you're asking me like they had to go not cut but they had to go to the right and then they just have this straight wall that they have to get inside of right at the last second on the inside that sounds not funny yeah
2: and the same like I think for papana was better than London that year for in 2011 they had this whatever same layout papana was supposed to be a replica yeah um I think it was like the Lanes one through six were kind of looking at the berm jump, and then if you're a guy in like seven and eight, you had to get across at the te- at the actual London test Dude, it was like lanes one through four were pointing at the berm jump, five through eight you're pointing at the women's section. I got in the gate in the quarter in like lane six, and I was just aimed at the women's turn. And I was like, "Holy <laughs> fuck, I need to get across. <laughs> we need to get over here. <laughs> we are tur- the left turn signal is on right now. <laughs> just sur- talk about." time perform baby you either get out or you're just not making the tr- you're just not even gonna ride the track
0: you're just screwed you're absolutely screwed you just yeah. hop out of the girl's side and you might as well just go around the girls' corner and just have a watch and just watch the race.
2: Needless yeah. to say that's what I mean that's obviously why big reason I'm sure that I was taken out for the Olympics is because it just didn't work you can't you can't have it on a first straight
0: no they realize it doesn't work It works great no. on a second straight second turn works terribly on a first straight. <laughs>
2: Like in Madrid in whatever that one year they had it, it, was like 08, maybe or 07 when KY won the World Cup. They had um they had a berm jump on the first trip, but it was just guys, so it didn't matter. You
0: could yeah, yeah you, so it's there's pointed, no just know straight credit. out of then.
2: I would say also very unsafe still, but I mean more doable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wild. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking that one. He too, you could still
2: slingshot his board before the random gate. <laughs> Guys were coming out with some fucking heat. Without, <laughs> <laughs> without, can you imagine the pepper you'd be coming out with with a slingshot on Supercross? God, that'd be
0: fun. Gonna be so sick to watch. Yeah, I, we've said it way too many times. I don't even care. One of the coolest looking things in our sport is somebody doing a sick slingshot, <laughs> especially next to a guy that's not oh, slingshotting. You're so like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then he just whips back, whips through. It is so cool.
2: If, if they still had it, now you'd have to. You'd be getting absolutely lit on fire if you were beside someone who could slingshot and you didn't. You'd get smoked Oh yeah, every time.
0: I never did it, always wanted to, but the the amount of momentum you'd come up with compared to just a regular gate, you yeah, you'd absolutely need to.
2: It is hard too to gate beside someone that was slingshotting cuz you knew it was coming and of course like you're focused on the lights or whatever, but it's you see the like body weight go forward, you see them pull back and then the gate like uh moves a little bit too. It's not easy to It wasn't easy to to focus and do your own start beside someone, or if you're between two slingshotters or pulling back at the same time or different times. I mean, good luck.
0: Yeah, honestly, yeah, good luck. It's (laughs) dude, yeah, sorry. It's so hard to to concentrate though to focus. Like you think you're ready, really. You know it's coming, and even still, when it still happens, you're like, fuck, don't move, don't move. Oh, and you you all almost always go too soon.
2: Yeah, you really had to concentrate. I know some people would close one eye in the start if they're beside someone like that, too. No way. Yeah, I heard some people that did that.
0: That's that's kind of wild to me. I've never even thought about trying that because your balance would get thrown off, too. Just trying to hold one eye closed, I feel like. What a loose program or
2: sport was it? I
0: mean, <laughs> not, that it's like, not, not that it's like super tight now, but that was pretty loose. No, we're a much tighter ship now. Absolutely, we are a tighter ship. We have we have a, yeah. a specified gate call. We have a, you know a good hill. Everything's to standards. Yeah, we're fine now. Mm. Maybe we should go back to a Wild little more of that wildness. Uh, those are the good. Those
2: are the good days. Yeah. Um, Vegas National this weekend. Know the amateurs are starting off first race of the year. Just feels like we had Tulsa, um, but yeah, Las Vegas National this weekend. I think it's the last year in the South Point, and so I'll be there Saturday. So if you're there in Vegas, come say hi, and I'll be, oh yeah, I'll be around coaching my riders and just hanging out. Um, my actually my first time ever at this race because it was never a pro race, so I, I just never went. Um, But yeah, I've never been to it before.
0: I have been to the arena, never raced it obviously either. Um, you'll you'll have a good some good entertainment, I think, of how small it really is. Tiny. It's just like it's unbelievable. You could barely play lacrosse in there. I feel like. Is
2: it is it like um, the old Disney Cup in in Orlando? Much smaller, or like in my opinion, ever... much smaller. It's unbelievable that it's smaller because that place is
0: tiny. Yeah, like I have a very like I've been there once. My reference for it is you know not I don't have a big reference, but I'm pretty sure you ride in, you basically ride right to the gate. The finish line is obviously at the other corner, and you just either go right to the gate or right out. Like there's not much of a there's no like hangout area for sure in the on the floor there. Um, I don't know where the staging is personally.
2: Just makes um, just makes the Reno Stadium look like an NFL stadium,
0: <laughs> almost probably. Yeah, I want to know. I'd love to know the actual size difference. Like I th- visually, I think it's miniature, but who knows? I mean, I feel like Reno and Vegas probably are pretty similar. I don't know. I don't Reno's.
2: Know. I think Reno's. Def- Reno's definitely bigger. Reno's. I mean, it's small, but it's it's not bad.
0: That's like a a quote unquote a livestock center, whatever that is, Reno Livestock Center. I don't know. Livestock arena Yeah, Yeah. what what we've had an arena cross race in Reno. I mean it's small, it's short, don't get me
2: wrong, but it's it's like we you could race a leap there. It's just small, obviously.
0: I'd like here's the here's the debate for us, which sucks because not a lot of people are gonna know this reference, but is Abbotsford bigger or is Vegas bigger? That'll be the question. I think, I mean, it's got to be Vegas. Abbotsford is fucking so small. It's Dude, it's tiny. Tiny. Oh, wait, I mean, this... like,
2: I'm, we're talking
0: impossible from 6, 7, and 8. <laughs> 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 Here's, the thing. Here's the thing, though. I know for a fact that Abbotsford has had an arena cross race there. And I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't yeah. know how they could have an arena cross, but then this uh, Vegas one couldn't
2: literally just stay in first gear the whole time.
0: Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> just the engine mapping would be would be something in there. Oh, your gear uh, miniature, yeah. Yeah, that place is just so small. I mean, it's like a gate to a first jump on a normal track. Which I think Vegas is probably I wonder if it's similar. No, it's got to be it's got to be bigger than Avensford. Avensford's tiny.
0: It's, dude, it's, yeah. You, you can flick you can throw a paper airplane from one side to the other.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's super small. What do you so speaking of stadiums? What do you think is the biggest crowd we've ever gotten at a race ever? Ever? I would think probably I think probably Rio. Rio had a lot of people. It's got to be at Olympics, right?
0: I would think it's at the Olympics. Uh, watching the Olympics there, I don't think they could show all the people. Like I don't remember seeing the people. I feel like when I watched mm-hmm. London, I could see that the, the stands were full. So that's my first image um but i I also think that the grandstands in rio probably were bigger hey in london
2: they were huge like i i remember seeing them thinking they were the biggest we've ever had they were really tall like there was a lot of oh sorry fucking computer died
0: (laughs) (laughs) are you recording or no we're recording already now i just pressed play Uh,
2: again (laughs) Just mid 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 convo I was, I think I was saying yeah, like I remember the stands being super tall and there being a lot of people there. Yeah. Also, I think like the worlds in 2013 in Auckland and New Zealand, that was a cool stadium. That's, that, there was quite a few people there too.
0: Yeah. I have a hard time trying to picture what stadium, what stands were the biggest and what was also the most packed at the same time. Um, I think 2017 worlds, I know that Rock Hill stands are pretty big and those were very packed. So that's gotta be up there, but I don't know if that is the biggest really.
2: Yeah, I wonder in Auckland how many there were, like 10,000 maybe. I don't know.
0: That's like a cool stadium, that one, hey?
2: It was really cool. It was downtown Auckland. Rotterdam, there was quite a few people there too in that stadium.
0: It was, but I feel like they were only using the lower bowl. So obviously they would have Mm -hmm. probably in in, uh, New Zealand as well. But I don't know. I feel like Rotterdam wasn't huge for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a bad viewing spot from where I was. I can't really remember.
2: Imagine like uh, like NFL stadiums, like 80,000 people or something. It's cool crazy dude
0: you look at that that la sofi stadium is that what it's called it thing is just its own city
2: it is it is enormous the fact that they have two teams there is a joke <laughs> It's incredible <laughs> i'm so bummed the chargers left san diego now i would love them to be here i live fairly close to the stadium
0: Dude, yeah having your own team to cheer for like your team or to be able to go to the game would be so sick so
2: i know they're probably my b team that i cheer for the chargers fair yeah fair Oh, speaking of, we got a big playoff matchup this weekend, James. We got Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, and Tory Nighthawk versus James Palmer, the Cincinnati Bengals, and Joey Burrow.
0: Um, is your guy back? Is Lamar back?
2: I heard today he's confident that he will, but who knows.
0: Okay, I hope he does, because even if we win without him there, it's obviously it'd be great. Still, I'd still rub it in your face a little bit, but it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't feel as good. There would be yeah. that cherry missing on top.
2: The unfortunate thing is I feel like if he does play, he won't be as athletic as he usually is and be a little rusty, which is kind of sucks.
0: That would, Yeah, that's kind of the bummer part.
2: So. Yeah, because he's so dynamic and explosive that if he still has a slightly sprained knee, he probably won't be able to move and cut as much as he would or run, which is his biggest
0: weapon. Yeah. I don't know. Who, who knows? Maybe he comes in under the radar and just... You fucking blind. better
2: because if we if we play with our third string QB again, I mean, we, we might as well not even play.
0: <laughs> you can't be doing that. That's just brutal. You don't like going that.
2: against it's like you're going against like um Joe Burrow's like an Isaac. Okay, you're going against Isaac. You just stick in some like fast seventeen twenty X. It's like okay, well, of course he's good, but he's going to get killed. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same. It'd be the same. That would be about the same. Yeah. So we can't have we can't have that. We gotta. We got to put in Joris.
0: Yeah, you, you got to put in the all-star.
2: We got to put in the all-star. Yeah. <laughs> um, Speaking of all-stars, uh, yeah. should we get Let's to roll. Sarah Walker? Let's roll. Snap all on right.
0: green. Snap on green, everybody. Here we go. Sarah Walker. We good? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sarah, how's it going?
1: Babe, good, thanks. How are you guys?
0: Good. You've been on our list for a while. We're happy to have you
1: on. Yeah, I'm honored to be part of it.
0: How was uh, life in New Zealand? How is life being a mom now? Um, how are things?
1: So different, but at the same time, quite similar. Um, I think when I first became a new mom, I completely felt like I was just in like winter training block, um, <laughs> where you're just like tired the whole time. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got the hang of this. I know what I'm doing. Like just the constant tiredness. but. Um it's been so fun and so awesome. Like I really am stuck to their mum and just loving it.
2: Is it true like you have to wake up a lot in the night and all that?
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 But but she's so happy, like she's such a happy baby and just really cool. Her personality is so strong. Um, it just makes it like real fun. And if like a couple wake up each night is like the worst thing then I'll take that. That's
2: yeah. it's probably such a it's probably such a thrill to watch your your kid like learn something new or progress like um what's the word? Uh like in their development.
1: Yeah, or well, just even um just seeing the world fresh again. <laughs> so like seeing yeah. her like look at something for the very first time in her life and like figure out what it is and what it does and and being able to see that and and witness that again it's just like it's pretty mind-blowing just Mm. their development and and what they're learning and everything is completely new for the first time they've ever seen it so it's um it's trippy
0: (laughs) that's wild Uh, yeah sarah i haven't i don't think like i've seen you for gosh a couple years now maybe since or a year since tokyo you were there obviously handing out the the medals um
1: yeah well first off actually
0: how was that experience how did that all come about
1: Oh man that was like if I'm not going to be competing like handing out the medals this was just like the next best thing and um so I've been on the IOC the International Olympic Committee uh as an athlete rep for um six and a half years so from the Rio Olympics through till now and um As one of the IOC members, you get to hand out medals at the Olympics, which is so cool. (laughs) Um, But I also, I learned quite early on that. um, Like if I don't know anyone in the sport and I don't really know the sport and like there's no link to a Kiwi or to someone, like it just felt weird giving a medal to like someone that there was no link because for them, it's like one of the coolest moments in their life, yeah. and I'm just some random person. <laughs> um, and so I was like, "This feels weird," but to do it for the BMX race, like to know every single person and like just to have that moment and be be a part of that moment with them um, was very special for me. Um, and it will. It's like a, I was writing down like highlights before the show, and and that. That's definitely one of them, being able to give an Olympic medal to my friends. Yeah.
2: No kidding, especially someone like um, someone like Meryl. Obviously, you spend so much time with Laura and Meryl over the years. To put a, to put a medal around her neck must have been really special. <laughs> she loved it, too.
1: Oh, man, so cool, but also <laughs> so hard because of COVID protocols. I couldn't hug them or, like, even shake mm. their hand or do anything. And so I was just like, ah, like, there's this cool moment of, like, here's your medal, but... Also, like, stay two meters away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that part was brutal. Yeah, that would suck a lot.
1: Yeah. yeah, I wanted to give him a hug and just be, like, stoked in that moment with him. But, I mean, yeah, can't complain. Yeah.
2: What, how do you find, um, like, watching the Olympics now, uh, especially after, obviously, going through it and meddling yourself? Do you do you like watching it? What's what's that experience like for you?
1: Um. Well, I just, I, I love BMX, so if it's, like, obviously I'd rather do it than watch, but um, being able to see my friends compete, I think it'll be interesting as time goes on, and I don't know everyone the same, or I know everyone personally, like, oh, that's my mate um, competing, it'll be interesting to see how it changes, but at the moment, pretty much, it's all my friends riding bikes, and I'm just stoked for them um, when they go well and I'm devastated with them when they don't. And, um, so like, I'm a passionate supporter and, and being able to see other people have those moments. Like I've had the privilege to have is, um, it's really cool. Like I, I want everyone to be able to have those moments. So yeah, it's awesome.
0: (laughs) What is, uh, what have the, like the past year looked like for you? Like, obviously. I understand you had your baby, so that was huge. But were you? Again, how many? I guess how many months after the Olympics did that happen? Did that come about?
1: Um, well, so I, I was actually pregnant in Tokyo, and I had no idea. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds um, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So I got home, and I, I, we had um, two weeks of uh, managed isolation in the in the quarantine hotel, and I had morning sickness. Um, And I thought for starters, it was like, you know, how you get sick after the games, you just have like that down period and like your body's just run down. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I, it's this. And then like days went past and it wasn't getting better. And I'm like, surely, (laughs) surely by now I should start to be a little bit better. And it just kept going. And I was like, well, you know, if I didn't know any better. I would think I was pregnant, but it can't be that. (laughs) and uh sure enough when I got out of the quarantine I I took a, pre- a test and yeah I was like holy shit okay well this is happening um and then went to the Beijing Winter Olympics like 33 weeks pregnant Oh wow uh so like seven weeks before <laughs> um and came home and yeah just been enjoying being a mum and all the stuff that comes with that
2: Wild. Do you, um- was, were there any were there any big differences between like winter and summer Olympics? Was it pretty much the same, you know, overall? Or, it's a whole yeah, it like,
1: different vibe. It's a whole different vibe. Like, what I would describe the summer Olympics as like I feel very serious, like very high performance, very um, focused on like going and doing the absolute necessities, like going to the food hall to eat and. Resting and recovery, and doing everything very methodically until you compete, and then obviously it's a different story afterwards. (laughs) But the winter games there's two different villages one's like the um, city village, essentially, and the other's like the mountain village. The city Mm. village is like the ice skating, um, and kind of that side, and then the mountain clusters, like where you have all the freestyle events. Um or and so the city one where all the ice skaters in there are, it's like very much like the summer games in terms of like very methodical, very like set out. But the mountain cluster where all the freestyle guys are, like it's just uh I think it like BMX races would fit in completely at the mountain <laughs> cluster. <laughs> like it's so much more chill. It's all about just having a good time, feeling good, being happy, doing things that make you smile, doing all of those things. And just rather than like, I need to go win a medal. It's like, I just need to go have a good time. Cause if I do that, I'll perform well. And mm. I can relate a lot to that and so going to the winter Olympics is like really enjoyable for that experience.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And it probably goes along with the culture of those sports because slope style or all those freestyle sports have a bit more of a laid back atmosphere for sure. than like a long track speed skater would.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it was quite interesting to see the two different dynamics and at the winter games.
0: Uh, getting a little bit into your I guess let's say amateur amateur racing days when you were younger, when you were a kid, um, what do those look like? I don't know how big New Zealand BMX was back then. Cause obviously the country as a whole is one of the smaller, smaller ones. So what was like, uh, what was life growing up for you racing as a kid?
1: Uh, so I did mountain bike with my family growing up and my brother got a BMX bike for his Christmas present when he was eight and I went and watched for a while, got sick of watching and I started, um, So I was 10 years old when I started BMX for the first time, which, like, I guess is a bit older (laughs) um, in some cases. And for me, it was like I just wanted to be better than my brother, and that's all I cared about. (laughs) So if he did a jump, I had to do it. Um, And because my brother was younger, he was like, no way a girl's going to be better than me. And so if I did something, he had to do it. We just did that right through as we got older we got faster the jumps got bigger and we just pushed each other all the way through and I didn't really take notice so much of uh what I was doing at the races or or what was happening in the wider sense of BMX I was so focused on just having cool time riding bikes with with my brother and riding bikes in general um and it's only now or later in my career that I look back and I'm like Cause i started jumping when i was when i first started so it's 10 year old just started bmx start jumping straight away and i didn't realize i was the only girl doing it until i was much much older but now i look at like young girls coming through and it's so obvious like they stand out like sore thumbs so when I was when I was coming through and like these people like being like oh Sarah you, I watch you ride I'm like why would you be watching me riding <laughs> <laughs> like it just felt so weird but um yeah there wasn't a lot of riders and I think my first nationals there was eight of us and then the second was seven and then six and then <laughs> and then it was like amalgamated with like three age groups and then it was um yeah so it dropped off um but the thing I was most excited for when I was little uh, was turning 14 so I could race super superclass. Oh. Um, and I remember like January 1st of the year I was turning 14. I was like, this is the year. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there was quite a few elite women in New Zealand at that point. And I got to January, entered my first race, got to the race, and there were seven of them in the class plus me. And they all protested that I was not actually 14 yet and that <laughs> I shouldn't be able to race them. Um, and they upheld it. So I had to race the boys instead. Um, and I actually, after that race, a lot of them quit and I never got to race them. And I was really, really devastated because <laughs> I was I'd been looking forward to that moment for like since I started. Um, and so I was gutted so fast forward to like further in um I was determined at like this end of my career that I would not shy away from like the young girls coming through um mm. because it's important for them as well as it's important for me
2: yeah and I think it's actually a, a kind of an important thing because I I still remember like racing Kyle Bennett or Bubba or bob DeWild. it's cool and like obviously as you get older more established like you don't want to get beat by a kid that's 19 but at the same time (laughs) who cares like they're in the elite class and they're 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 fast they're fast it doesn't matter and it's it's a thrill for them to be racing all the people they looked up to i think that's important that's important
1: yeah and i like i just remember being so devastated and i was like i don't want to be the reason another kid's devastated (laughs) um because i was like afraid of being beat um so for me, I just looked at it as like, well, of course, I don't want to be beaten by a young kid. So I just have to train hard and yeah. go as fast as I can so that if they do race me, they're going to have to train their ass off to beat me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when did you start going to the, going to World Championships? Because I know as an amateur, you, you went almost every year, right?
1: Um, my first world was in uh, Perth, Australia, and when I was 15. Oh, you know? cool. So me and my family, we uh, saved up uh, money to go uh, we did like lots of raffles and fundraising like I remember going out into the forest uh, where I live and planting pine trees um, doing forestry work <laughs> um, to fundraise money um, yeah we, like we didn't grow up with a lot, a lot no of money, go so no
2: GoFundMe pages back then boys and girls <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: uh, so we did we did a lot of work to be able to go to that race and um yeah i i came up uh, against the, a girl called melissa minkowski who was uh, australian
2: She's a really good rider oh
1: man yeah she'd been world one like eight years in a row or something and yeah. i had been riding for five years so she'd been world champ longer than i had been riding um and i would raced her a couple of times by traveling to australia and i'd never beaten her and then in the semi-final i i won um and then went into the final with lane one, and I think she was like lane seven or eight, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like this could <laughs> this could happen?" But I don't know, I don't know if you remember the track. Like it's a long time ago, but um, the first corner was ninety degrees, and so in my mind, lane one was an advantage, but in reality, it probably wasn't. <laughs> um, and I finished second, but from there, pretty much, I went to every worlds after that, um, and I think yeah, just did pretty well for quite a while.
2: <laughs> Side note: Can we talk about that first straight in Perth? That first straight was huge. oh man, it was like it was like super yeah. cross size on a small hill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that double.
2: I was like I was eleven <laughs> on that one, and we would just launch into the double on the first straight. <laughs> <laughs> it was
1: huge. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's insane. <laughs> uh, so, what year was it that you actually turned elite? Sorry, that was I mean I was taking. Should have done the math, but I...
1: uh, it's all right Two thousand seven was my first year in elite in uh, Canada.
2: So yes, yeah, so what was that experience like? Is is that the time you kind of got on the national? Are you probably on the national when you were a junior, right?
1: Yeah. So pretty much, uh, world champs in Aussie was when we found out BMX was going to be in the Olympics mm-hmm. uh, for two thousand eight, and then pretty much world champs every year after that was kind of partly supported and funded. Um, So I guess I was on the national team from like 16. Um, So we had people through um, junior elite uh, in 2005, 2006, and yeah, yeah support for t- 2007.
2: So yeah. well, you're kind of part of the group too that kind of paved the way on Supercross and national teams and all that kind of stuff. How how did it change? Yeah. Like from obviously the sport changed quite a lot in those years leading into 2008.
1: Yeah, well like, I, I reflect back on it and think it changed a lot, the most from 2008 to 2012. Mm. Like, I think uh, leading into 2008, everyone was kind of figuring it out. But from 08 to 12 was just, like, it went from kind of BMX racing to, like, high performance Olympic level. Um, and and I, I think if people had figured out what that high performance olympic level had looked like for 2008 there would have been a different podium <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. it was yeah and and i i see that with the new sports that are coming in into the olympics and and athletes going to their first olympics and that now um that that is is a huge part of their preparation and i and a big part of them being able to perform first go
2: it's a good point, yeah, because by 2012, everyone was so dialed on Supercross.
1: Yeah, 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 because I, I went to the first Supercross for women, which was the 2007 test event mm. on the Beijing Olympic track. And I remember all <laughs> the girls... Such a hard word the top. To go to. Oh, my God. Everyone's <laughs> at the top of the eight meter, and it's just like, everyone's looking at each other like, you go, no, you go, no, you go. <laughs> it was just... Like the first jump there was so easy. Like I cannot describe how easy it was. Um, Like the whole track you could at at that age uh, would have been like 18, 19 years old. I could clip in at the top and roll from the top and get to the finish line. Like without pedaling, like it was just so easy. But the mental side of looking down into the middle of the first jump for the first time. Um, and everyone's on the same page and no one's done it to be like, oh, it's easy or oh, it's like this. And everyone's just in the unknown. It was quite trippy. But the, I think I rolled down once and I came back up and I'm like, there's no way <laughs> I'm rolling down to have to walk up those stairs <laughs> again <laughs> without jumping. <laughs> And so that was my motivation. The first time I ever jumped, it was like the stairs at the back.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. That is one of the biggest things too. Yeah. If you don't want to waste your legs, just going down for mm-hmm. one slip around, especially when you know, okay, once you realize that it's like, all right, I could do this. I'm not wasting another time doing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. What'd
2: you, what'd you think of it, of being your first experience racing supercross at the time? Did you like it? Did you think it was crazy or what were your thoughts uh, on it?
1: It was my favorite track. I think the fact that you could just like, you could race full, oh, I'm saying race full speed. Like that track, I was struggling to get backside on the first jump at full speed. And I was like, I don't know how the guys are able to do this. Like it was definitely too small, but I really, the reason I started BMX and continued doing BMX is because it's so fun. And that track, like, to play on and ride and just like go 80% was one of the coolest tracks I've ever ridden to this day. Um, but in terms of racing, like it was definitely open and, um, intense. And I think the 2008 Olympic final was, to this day will continue to be the most crazy race I've ever been a part of in terms of like, I think I hit the gate, was out the back. Then I was third into the first corner, and then I was like sixth out of the first corner, and then I was like fourth into the last corner, and then like photo finish for third. It, and it was just—you don't change that pos- position that many times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any other any other race, so yeah, it was it was nuts.
2: What were your feelings after the after the main like?
1: I I cried. I was gutted, mm-hmm. um, but also. In hindsight, like I didn't really set myself up to perform my best anyway. Um, so my goal, I watched the Olympics before I even started BMX. When I was, when I was eight, I remember watching a New Zealand guy, a uh, swimmer, win Olympic gold and just being like so inspired to be an Olympian. And so I tried every sport growing up because I was just adamant I was going to be an Olympian one day and that was my goal and going into Beijing that stayed my goal was to go to the Olympics and so I achieved that but in hindsight and what I learned from that through to London was actually it's not just about setting the goal to go it's setting the goal to win, win a gold medal or setting the goal to perform to a certain level and um, and that's that took a lot of work to to not just set the goal but believe that i could set the goal and believe that it was possible um so that was like the next four years was just a lot of mental work from 2008 to 2012.
0: i mean you made a click right away like a year later you won the world championships in 2009 how how big was the the mental (laughs) difference from yeah 2008 then to 2009
1: um I think at that time, I, I felt like I could jump on the gate with almost anyone and, and not get cut off. <laughs> so, like, I felt really confident. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, especially being in, in Aussie and and it's the closest world champs we had to home at that point. And I was just like, it felt like I was racing at home because I lived in Australia for two years when I was uh, 17, 18, um, away from mum and dad. Um, and... Yeah, it was it was quite. That was an experience on its own as well. Um, but winning the the twenty inch and the cruiser um, in the same year was like. I remember coming out of the last corner just like with a massive grin across my face because like I knew I'd like done it. Um, but yeah, it was. I was just on that weekend. Like you know when you turn out to a track and you're just like first lap everything like perfectly or like first attempt at it, you're like, okay, I need to do this. And you just like nail it. Everything just
0: clicks. and
1: I'm like just one and done. And you're just like, yeah, it sweet. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. And there was I remember there was a pump track on the way between our hotel and the track. And I just would like ride past the pump track, do a lap of that and do a few manuals <laughs> and a few jumps and then carry on. And I just like I felt happy that whole weekend and it was just like yeah, it was one of those like perfect weekends really.
2: At the at the time, who were your toughest competitors that you'd say you raced?
1: Um, well, I think um it was either a uh, from France.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, she got second, and I think it was Ariel Martin got third. Um, but also yeah, also like looking at that time, like, and even since, like, I've got to race against some of like the coolest generations of BMXs like um like Sinead's Reed and um the uh man
2: <laughs> like, was such a beast at that time because she won oh 07 08 and yeah. 2010 like she was yeah. she was so yeah. good and so dominant
1: so strong and so powerful yeah. like uh, there was a lot of races there where everyone kind of was like okay like a win today would be second behind her <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just amazing athlete yeah but like ann Caro, to be able to race her for her short time in bmx and and Le liquid and yeah. um even like sammy cools and um kim hayashi like that that generation of riders um yeah it's been i've been very fortunate to be able to compete against some amazing athletes
0: where did you
2: race, besides World Cups, where did you race mostly between, I'd say, the Olympics, like in that cycle?
1: Um, Just in New Zealand and Australia. I, I liked being home. Um, mm-hmm. And I was so used to just training by myself Um, that I could just do it, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't know any better and I didn't know any different. Um, although I'm saying that I would have training partners every now and then, but most of the time it was the guys um and so yeah it was uh, a lot of a lot of time just going out and getting it done
2: yeah because I, I come to think of it, i don't remember you racing much in the u.s or europe right outside of, outside of world cups
1: yeah and it costs it cost too much money <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but i think i think um i just did what I needed to do to prepare the best that I could. And, and a lot of the time I'd go to races and, and have no idea where everyone's at, but
0: yeah,
1: that's just, I didn't know any different.
0: Would you guys travel as a national team back then? Cause it's tough to see now, like, uh, New Zealand, unfortunately doesn't travel anywhere any, anymore with the national team, but, um, back then, did you guys.
1: Pretty much, uh, like 2006 onwards Okay, till 2016. And then after 2016, we didn't have a national program anymore. So um, I was I was in the in the glory days of like when there was a national team for for most of my career. But actually, at the towards the end of my career, it was was, um, a lot of solo work and and doing all the logistics and traveling and costs and expenses and everything. All the all the fun stuff. Um, But but I think the the challenging part of that was. like kind of if things didn't go to plan like there was no one there to really step in um but that's where um, having relationships with like like you said Laura and Meryl being able to stay with them and then Frank their dad is just a legend um and becoming part of the TV team that was that just made things so much easier and so much more enjoyable as well because yeah, there was a couple races there where, like, if things went bad, there was no one to really support me. But also on the other side, like, if I had a really amazing weekend and racing went really well, there was also no one there to like enjoy it with. So it was kind of like a weird, weird situation, and I, I, I did consider consider retiring, um, kind of in twenty seventeen because of that.
2: So let's. Going into like there's 20- a lot there. Yeah. 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 Go, go, going into going into 2012, did you or did you feel like you were doing it a lot on your own, or did you have good support from New oh, Zealand? No. What was it like?
1: <clears throat> going into 2012, like I felt like there was no gaps. Like no matter like I felt fully supported. Um, a lot of my work was with this psychologist, like really like honing in on my self-belief. Um accepting failure and not worrying too much about what other people thought of me and mm-hmm. those three things I like, I grew so much as a person on those um, so I'll give an example is like like I said 2008 I didn't have necessarily a goal of what I would do I just wanted to go to the Olympics but for 2012 um my goal became to win the gold medal and for a while, like, I, like, you'd go around and you'd be like, yeah, you know, like, I, it's possible, like, I could, and everyone could on the day, and, and you kind of play it down, and I needed to get to the point where I could say, like, I can win gold, and full stop, like, I don't need to, like, explain myself or justify it to anyone, um, and that was really hard, I couldn't do it to start with, but every morning and every night, I had to say to myself in the mirror, I can win gold. I can win gold and I felt so stupid to start with, but probably did it every morning and every night for like six to eight weeks. And then I started like, actually, when I said it out loud one day, I was like, I can win gold. And it was just like, it was a full stop. And it was like, yeah, I can do this. And from the moment I was like, yes, I can. I trained like I was going like I was training like a gold medalist rather than someone who wanted to win gold. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like this much is so subtle the difference, but it was just, it was noticeable. Like we talk about the one percenters and and I feel like that mindset shift of like I want to win gold to I can win gold was that 1% mindset shift. But to build on that, like, I need to also accept that I may fail and I may not win gold. Um, And so that became the next lot of homework was accepting that failure was an option. And if I didn't win gold, that it it would be okay. But not in the way of, like, an excuse, but just going, you know, we're going to aim for gold. Believe that you can. But if you don't, then it's not the end of the world. Um, And so the only way to practice – do – get used to failing failing is by practicing it (laughs) so I would have to like plan failing into my program every week um and so every week I would go in and and there'd literally be in my program like this would be failure so rather than like I don't know leg press for eight reps it's like leg press failure and you would do leg press until you fail because say you had eight reps of leg press and you did eight with, I don't know, 160 kilo um, and you could have done nine maybe, but you stopped at eight because that's what it said. This is like, okay, we'll do 165 or 170 or 180 and get it to the point where if you're aiming for eight, that you can only do seven and three quarters or seven and a half. Like you fail before you get to eight because then that's proof that that was your max effort. Like you couldn't have actually done more because you failed. And so every week I was aiming to fail at certain things because failure became proof that I was trying my best. And so whatever my goal was is if I failed at it, it didn't matter because it was proof I was trying my best to achieve that goal. Um, And so, yeah, I practiced all the time and and even now like there's things where I'm like I need to fail at things because otherwise I'm not pushing myself or being outside of my comfort zone if I'm not failing um so yeah that was that was the whole experience to get to that point but so powerful and really what helped me on the day as well because I don't know if you know like I finished fifth in the first race of the Olympics in the motos <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah and I crossed the finish line and laughed and I was like you know what like uh, I'm so ready for this I am ready to to go from fifth in the first race to to winning a medal let's do it
0: Was a little bit of a um, kick then in the pants of like let's go here we go oh,
1: <laughs> yeah it was like shit okay like this is it I've <laughs> got to switch on like and, I, and then I finished fourth in the next race and it came down to the third moto to like actually whether I'd even make it through or not. Wow. Um, but it, it was perfect. It was exactly what I needed um, on the day. And I said that on the day too. Like it's, I couldn't have, like it was, I needed that bad first race to like for every race after that to fall into place. and um, And even in the final, like I remember going up and, like, being up on the start hill and, like, looking out to the crowd and, and just, like, taking it all in. Because that was one thing I, l- like, look back on 2008 and it was just a blur. Like, it was so surreal and felt like a dream and I wasn't present. And so being able to do that in London and, like, really be in the moment and, like, soak it all in and, like, look around and, like, take this deep breath of, like... Like, this is the moment, like I worked to be here and like, this is it, like if yeah, like other is <laughs> so cool. Um, now let's like roll onto the gate and do the process and the performance that I need to do to do my best in this moment. Um, and if, the, if I do that stuff, then the outcome will take care of itself. And it, and it did. <laughs> That's
0: so cool. How well does, does your memory work for remembering the race? Cause a lot of the times in big ones like that, you can almost remember like every thought, every breath or how the gate went, at least yeah. how the hill went, how was yeah. it for you?
1: Oh man. So like, I remember like the camera came along and like Laura had line eight and she like waves to the camera. And then I was in lane six. I like waved to the camera. Mariana was in lane four and she waved to the camera. Everyone else like was just like really focused. Um, spoiler alert, the three of us that waved to the camera won the three medals, (laughs) but (laughs) um, yeah, I remember like uh, we practiced like the one minute call at like training leading into, and so it's just like really relaxed, doing my breathing, and stood up, um, gate dropped. I like nailed the timing, and then literally I was like pedal, 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 and then like push through the bottom, push off the takeoff, like through the air, push the landing like pedal two times between the first and second, push off the takeoff, push landing. And then like, it wasn't until I landed the second jump that I actually thought I need to move over to like the inside. Because <laughs> <laughs> up until that point, I was just focused on like the performance of each jump. Yep. Um, and basically it was at that point, it was just me and Mariana side by side going into the first corner, um, which I had been in that situation before that race. Uh, in the motos and being pushed up high and had like everyone come under and so um I did my best to just like stick on a wheel and and not let anyone come under and then come out of the first corner pedaling really hard and I jumped the next jump too low and like tagged my back wheel and I was like for a split second I was like shit but then I was like no (laughs) think about the next jump like what do I have to do now Ignore that. Like I can't change what's happened, and then like do the pedal, and then like jump the next one. Tag that one as well. (laughs) But then like forget about it. It's in the past. Like pedal through the tunnel, and then out into the corner, and then like Laura pops out of nowhere, like right next to me in that corner. But that that third straight, like the third straight at that time, like like I felt like no one could get the third straight better than I could. It was a really like tight I, third
0: straight, especially for you ladies too, right?
1: Yeah. But like I'm I was one of the taller riders and like I could really like get my manuals like really drive my legs and push through. And um yeah, I caught I lost some um, distance on Mariana down the second straight, but caught it all back up down the third straight. But almost like too quickly and too much heading into the last corner. And I, I remember catching her and just being like, shit, like. And I went to high lower, but she came out of the last corner and like dipped down. And then I like, kind of like, do I go back to the other side? But I caught up a bit too much. And I was worried if I did that, I would like buzz her back wheel and crash. Yeah. So I kind of like got flustered and then like decided to like chuck in a manual on the last straight. And it just like was not the right, like you had to jump the last straight because it was so crap. <laughs> it like. Any other option was a bad choice. And at that point, it was just like survive and get those jumps as smooth as I could, even though they were horrible. Um, and get to the finish line. And I crossed the finish line knowing I'd got silver. And I looked back over my shoulder and it was Laura behind me. And I was like, no way, because we'd just <laughs> been training together leading into that race. And it was just like so amazing and just Like one of the coolest days. Obviously, you can hear it in my voice. (laughs) But yeah, like that moment and that race, and coming back to my gut, like I said, I can win gold, and I didn't. But because I had done the training and the mind work to be like, you know, as if as long as I give it everything, then then that's the most important thing. And I believe that I can win gold. That's equally important. But actually, the end of it. I performed the best race I could, it wasn't a perfect race, but I performed the best I could in the Olympic final, like under the most pressure. And at, in that race, in that moment, there was one person in the world better than me and that is completely okay. And like, I was just so stoked.
0: I just watched the race back too. And the third straight was absolutely killer. Like the rhythm section. Yeah. (laughs) absolutely handled them like yeah, if, yeah. it's almost like yeah you almost almost looks like you could have got married on in the last turn. like you were just flying through there that's cool that you have that yeah. feeling of like knowing you're coming out of the turn just knowing like okay i have this straight that i know i can catch up make yeah. passes like I'm, i know yeah. i'm better than that than that yeah
1: yeah yeah like that was a cool straight for sure
2: how did um how did your life change or what was the experience like after you know after the game?
1: Yeah, there was, I think there was nine Olympic medalists from New Zealand in um, London, I think, give or take. But I was one of very few. And so a silver medal or any medal at that point for our country was huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it was funny, actually, like the way I responded and the way I did my interviews after, like the way I spoke about it. I came home and a lot of people had thought I'd won. (laughs) um (laughs) I had to be like oh no sorry like I got silver it's like it's all good but thank you though um and yeah it, it changed massively like I I got one of my most um loyal and and best sponsors from from that performance the beef and lamb sponsorship um I ended up being on like tv ads and stuff from that um and it was What was interesting though, is because BMX was, it was the first time BMX was in the Olympics in 2008. um, And I had done, like I'd won the world title for cruiser in 2007. So like I went in kind of with people interested in what BMX was about. Mm. Um, The most life-changing moment was actually being on my first TV ad. because like people watch the olympics and it's like this one-off moment but when you're on a tv ad it's like every night at the when people are watching tv and at this point like 2008 2009 like there's not really social media isn't massive so that was like probably a bigger blow-up point um for me but yeah 2012 just um coming home and going to an all blacks game which is our national rugby team um there's like thirty thousand people in the stands, and they brought all the medalists out into the field at halftime. And you had like thirty thousand people like cheering for you. So cool! Um oh, it was like insane. And um, just being able to go to all these cool things, but like I also remember like the post games blues, um, and just wanting to just go home and do nothing, but feeling guilty about like getting all these cool opportunities. Mm-hmm. and and also just wanting to have a break <laughs> um, and and the conflict with those two things.
0: I got it. Yeah, I got to imagine like coming the down, like we talked about with different people, the down from that the year after, like so many people go through so many different emotions of like the years leading up are so stressful. It takes so much out of you that you don't always realize until kind of that next year. And then it almost hits you in a wave that you just... Of like i need a break now like everything just i need to sit down and relax for a second
1: yeah yeah and yeah like you get so many cool opportunities but you almost feel guilty for not wanting all of that at the same time but you want to appreciate it all too so it's 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 a challenging time um but yeah it's i think it's all part of it somehow i, I don't know how you would help someone else through that moment it's just a rite of passage almost
2: <laughs> yeah i think you, i think yeah you, you definitely got to take advantage of it too like when you can accomplish something big like financially and just in every way like it you earned it and it's a good way to it's a good thing in time to take advantage of the opportunities that come
1: yeah absolutely
2: how was it um yeah the, I, the
1: pros outweigh the cons for sure
2: <laughs> totally um i was gonna say how is it getting back into training and everything after that and refocusing for like uh, the next year of racing
1: um I think so for me (laughs) I remember like the medal going over my neck and like the weight of it and like looking down and like realizing that for me it wasn't about the actual medal itself like the object of the medal it was about the, the feeling I had of like pride and like the fact that I'd believed in myself and I'd performed under pressure like that was more powerful to me in that moment than my medal and so when I reevaluated for like the next quad through to 2016 like I I couldn't use winning gold as my motivator anymore because I just like I knew in myself that the medal it wasn't going to help me through the crappy days it wasn't going to be enough I needed to find like a motivation that was really going to drive me through all the cool sessions, but also through the bad sessions. Um, And so I spent, I think, like a month or two, like really thinking hard about what that would look like. And and for me, it was, I came to the conclusion that it was like, I want to see what my potential is. Like, I want to see what I am capable of. And in order to, to do that, I need to like commit and be the best that I can every day. And see where that takes me. Like, I'm not going to put a cap on anything. I'm not going to put like, it needs to be this result or this time or this weight. It's like, let's see how fast I can get. Let's see how strong I can get. Let's see how good I can get in this, in this next block. Yeah. And that, that motivated me massively.
0: That's cool. That's a different perspective that I think a lot of people take, because a lot of us, I think. Just see, yeah, the the medal that we want, or you know, that result that it's just like, hey, I I have that to go after, and instead of just yeah, trying to make yourself the best you that you can be. Do you think that created more motivation? Obviously, it did at that time. But can you get more motivation from that? Do you think than going after just a medal in general?
1: Yeah, if you can find that, and more enjoyment too, more enjoyment as well. Like it, it becomes more about just like being the best you each day. And sometimes your best you is like like, the best track session, like, everything is perfect, and then sometimes the best you that day is, like, literally, you did not want to be there, but you did the session, because you want to improve, and, like, some of those days, I would, like, or every day, I would ask myself two questions, one would be, like, um, what am I most proud of today, Mm -hmm. and then the other one was, what did I learn today that will help me tomorrow, and sometimes, it would be, like, instead of what went well, and what didn't go well, it was, like, Today, I'm most proud of the fact that even though every single effort I did sucked, like I cased everything or I, I just didn't get a single effort smooth, I'm most proud that I still went and did every uh, effort at max and like gave my best, which if you're asking what went well today, that would not be your answer. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's like, what did I learn today that will help me tomorrow? It's like, well, I learned today that I am resilient and that no matter what, how and if it goes, that I can keep going. And so if I looked at it, what didn't go well, then I'd be able to write a massive long list and then feel shit about the whole day and crap about the whole session and find things to feel negative about. And I, I would feel crap for the rest of the day, because the session was bad. But those two questions allowed me to reflect on that bad session, feel proud about the fact that I went and did it and feel good about the learnings that I took to be able to be better the next day. And, and so for the rest of the day, I feel good about the session I just did too. And so like, that was just like unlocked another level of like potential.
2: Speaking of training, like you were always really technically sound. Like you were a really good starter. You were had good riding technique, really smooth on the track. Like were you someone who was really, um, like you had good attention to detail in training? Did you have like good coaching to help you with that, or how did you how did you develop how did you develop that?
1: Um, I think like growing up, I was a perfectionist, <laughs> um, and so that like had its pros and cons in itself like I at school like I wanted to be the teacher's pet and get everything like a hundred percent marks and I was disappointed if I got 99 like I was such a gig <laughs> <laughs> but um it, it kind of like I had to learn not to do that um and with with writing like I I watched my brother and if he did something like I I would just be able to watch and try and replicate that myself, um, and so my brother doing it smooth was what caused me to do it smooth. But I don't, I couldn't coach someone else how to jump or manual until I was like well into my twenties because I didn't know how I did it. I just did it, <laughs> um, so there wasn't necessarily an understanding of my technique or an understanding of how. I learned it or someone teaching me, it just happened. Um, but as I began to understand like the technical side and, and how to do things, then finding those like one percenters and, and those extra pieces, like that's where it was really important to have external feedback and, and ha- support in those areas.
0: I think it's really cool looking at you and Laura, obviously being great friends, trained together a bunch. Um, Laura, I think being younger than you and probably looking up to you a lot, her, your two riding styles are very similar. You're very quiet on the bike, but very efficient at the same time. So watching you guys, especially like watching that 2012 <laughs> video back, it's just very cool to see how similar you guys ride.
1: And, and we get told like often, like you guys should be trying harder or like, <laughs> it looks like you, you aren't trying hard enough. And it's like, no, we like really can't try any harder, but it's just like I said, it's the riding style. it just way more relaxed and and just efficient so and i pride myself on the on that but i mean i can segue myself into like that didn't always go to plan and and (laughs) and there were were times (laughs) probably too many times that it didn't go perfectly and and i wasn't smooth and and that resulted in in a few crashes
0: (laughs) that uh that change in outlook after after 2012 and just trying to get the best out of yourself. Do you think that we did that play a big part in your longevity in the sport? Cause you stayed, you were able to be one of the top girls in the sport for many years. I mean, one of your world championship finals was, uh, 2017 and I think your first one was 2007. So 10 years apart being in the elite women's final is incredibly impressive.
1: Yeah. And one of the highlights of my career was actually the 2019 world cup in Argentina, where I was on the podium. Um, that was, I think it had been like 10 years, 10 years since my last um, World Cup podium at that point too. So (laughs) yeah, like um, I I just had to keep getting faster because like there's no way I would have been able to stay in the sport as long as I did without improving. Um, Like the, the level has just continued to grow and evolve and get better. And the fact that I was able to stay in the mix for that long like that's pretty cool um but I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't love the sport and I didn't enjoy the challenge of being better each day or coming back and and riding my with my mates basically
2: that must have felt really rewarding in a different way to get on a podium as you're older and and later in your career than it than it did like compared to your first one like it must it must be a cool feeling and, and different feeling
1: for sure I was, it was actually the only time I have got really emotional for, from a result <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of that reason. Like, it had been a long time. And at that point, like, I'd considered retirement in 2017 at the Worlds um, because after 2016, we didn't have a national team anymore. It was all on, like, kind of our own figuring it out. And it was – I'd been told by – many people like why are you still writing like you should quit you you should retire like you're not you haven't got a result and I just was like well it's not always about that and I feel like I know what I'm doing and I believe that I'm capable of of this still otherwise I wouldn't be here and so that moment was like twofold one was like stuff you guys like see I was right to (laughs) to still be like I'm still good enough but the overwhelming thing that made me emotional was like just I was right to believe in myself I was right to say that I'm not done yet I was right to say like I'm still able to be on the podium I'm still able to compete with the best in the world and to have it in my mind and have that belief was one thing but to have it happen in reality was like just reassuring in a way yeah
0: so cool yeah what a difference in like yeah the girls you're racing at the time from then to I mean the amount of girls that have looked up to you in that field that in 2018 or in Argentina is incredible
1: yeah yeah Uh, yeah It's, it's um yeah it's pretty special like um even the the Kiwi girls coming through um like Rebecca Pitch who went to the 2020 Olympics like she's 10 years younger than me um and i helped her out when she was like a kid (laughs) um i sponsored her a bike and like gear and like all that and and to have her come through and be like my training partner and teammate and to go to the olympics for new zealand like that that is amazing as well
0: that relationship has been really cool i mean yeah bmx is being much smaller in new zealand you guys have such a much a much closer relationship than a lot of the other riders in other countries probably did so that must've been really rewarding
1: yeah it was and i mean there was probably like a year or two that was really tricky in the middle because like i went from like mentoring her and sponsoring her and supporting her to being a competitor and like training a teammates and and like racing against each other for one spot or and so like the the transition from kind of me being the person she looked up to and helped her to equals. it was like how do we navigate that? What does that look like? And there was there was a little bit of time where it was like working that out but once we did, it was like if she got to go to the Olympics and I didn't then that would be awesome and vice versa. And the fact that we created that environment and that culture between us um, and Jessie Smith as well, like all three of us being able to just be, supporting each other because it wasn't me versus rebecca or me versus jesse or jesse versus rebecca it was new zealand versus the world and the way we did that i think like not many countries would be able to do it like that
0: that's, that's a tough thing to do in general individual sport like bmx is it's really tough
1: yeah yeah so uh,
2: looking, looking, cool. back, looking back in your career world, do you have any any regrets or anything you you maybe think now that you would have done differently
1: uh not yet injured as much that would have been <laughs> helpful.
2: don't we all have that one
1: <laughs> um no not really like uh like i wrote down a, a, a few but i only wrote like the cool stuff to be honest
0: <laughs> you did have some major um, injuries
1: yeah i wrote down 2014 crash yeah. which was like the one at Chula Vista on, on the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Um, I broke six bones in both my arms and had a, a head injury, like a, a proper like personality changing head, head injury, um, which took like five months before I was given any clearance to do exercise or wow. like get back on the bike. Um, and like, I was aware self-aware that my personality was different but had no control over that change and wow. so that was like quite an experience um
2: there was so, no certainty what,
1: that I'd ever ride again type thing
2: what was it at the time when you knew like your personality how was it different and like yeah how how can you change it like yeah that's kind of like it's awful but it's fascinating I just, too
1: I was angry and I'm not an angry person but like yeah. I just couldn't control my anger um so as an example of that, like I was doing the dishes uh, at some point, it would have been months after because I had two broken arms with surgery on like two places of them. So um, if I'm doing the dishes, this is like maybe three months after the injury. <laughs> so doing the dishes and I get splashed by like this tiny piece, like tiny, like coin sized bit of water. Right. And I just lose it. Like I oh. say the F word at the top of my lungs in the house. I grab the plate that I'm holding and I'm just like, <laughs> and I, I put the plate down and I like walk out of that room because I'm like, I've got to like remove myself from the situation. And I left the room. I didn't come back. <laughs> huh. I just like, no, I'm not, i I, um. I couldn't do it. But then I would remain angry. And the fact that I was aware I was angry over something so trivial made me more angry. And that made me, upset because I was angry about being angry, which was upsetting. And all of those emotions were just outside of my control. And I didn't like the person I was because I don't see myself as an angry person. So yeah, I didn't like I didn't like myself because I didn't have control over it either. So that was probably the most challenging part of my life, not just my career. Um but thankfully like, I, I managed to get through that and recover fully um, and return to the sport. And I think my first race back after that was actually the World Camps in um, 2015 in Belgium. And um, I finished third in the time trial, which was a medal event at that point still. So um, that was also a massive highlight to have gone to, like, that level of the lows to to being on the podium at the world champs the following year was um yeah a journey <laughs> I can say that
2: yeah I think I mean going through big injuries is awful but I think once you get through them and and get back to on the podium or accomplish like you have a huge personal accomplishment you just, it, you have such a newfound appreciation <laughs> it's cliche but it's so true because you there's times when you're like why am I doing this like I, I don't need to be doing this until you know the. you new- look back and
1: be like wow you know i did that exactly exactly yeah um uh actually i did write down one
0: hit us hit us with (laughs) it in terms of regret love it hit us with it
1: (laughs) and i'm conflicted about whether it's a regret or not but like going into 2016 like my form going into 2016 was like the best I had ever been in my life like I don't even know how to describe it but like I found a message um where I had messaged someone saying like I can't sleep at night because I am so excited about how fast I'm going right now and how good everything is going like I (laughs) that's
2: fucking awesome
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm struggling to sleep, and they're like, why? And I'm like, because everything's so cool. I can't tell
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) you how fast I'm going right now.
1: (laughs) And legit, that's how good it was. Um, I was, like, PBs every week. I was, like, sprints was the fastest. Like, in the gym, I was the strongest. Like, on the track, I just, like, felt amazing. And going into the 2016 season, I'm like, yeah, like, I am so ready for this year and the Olympics and everything. And in training, like weeks before the first world cup, I was trying to manual a whole straight just cause like, I just felt so good on everything I was doing. And I was like pushing what it, like, comes back. Like, what am I truly capable of? That's what got me to that point. And so I'm just like trying everything and like, you don't need a manual, a whole straight for any race, but like, that's- I just was loving riding my bike so much.
0: That's kind of what we just do as BMXers. We just try to push ourselves in exactly. those skills. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And I loop out and I like literally, I put my arm out behind me and it snaps. Oh, like I snap the, the humerus, which is your upper arm. It snaps in half. I didn't know at that time it'd done that, but I put my arm back and like fell. And then I sat back up immediately and I couldn't feel anything like, nothing not even like numbness like a a dislocated shoulder you've you've got like numb feeling but this was like as if my arm didn't exist and I was like this is bad (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even gonna look at which direction that arm is facing but if I cannot feel a thing at all like my arm isn't there then it must be really really bad so I just like look over to the um support team and I'm just like call an ambulance <laughs> oh my God. like I don't feel any pain I'm like not like nothing's like freaking me out but I'm just like I need an ambulance like whatever it is whatever I've done like I need an ambulance like right now <laughs> <laughs> um and then I guess the ambulance didn't prioritize it so I was on the track for like over an hour um and they're like, well, you're not in that much pain. Like, do you want to walk to the car? Because um, this, at this point, like, I, the only pain I had was in, like, down by my ri- wrist. Um, and I thought I'd broken, like, both the radius and ulna of, of your lower arm. And I thought that's what the injury was. At that point, I had no idea about the upper arm, even though that was, like, <laughs> the worst thing. Yeah. But for whatever reason, like, in my gut, I was like, I cannot move. At that point... Every crash that I've had in BMX, like I've walked off, but this one I was like, no, even though it's my arm, for whatever reason, like I need to just stay here. I, I shouldn't be moving. And so I waited for the ambulance for over an hour and they came and they saw like my arm and they're like, I think you might've broken the upper arm. I'm like, whatever. Like that <laughs> doesn't even hurt. <laughs> um, and they strapped it all up with um, like a, a splint bit with your upper arm you splint it differently um and so it's really good that they did all that because had we done everything ourselves we wouldn't have done it right and where it was broken is right by the nerve that runs down your arm which is why i couldn't feel anything wow. so the fact that we did all that properly so we get to the hospital and they're like um what do we want to x-ray first like your lower arm and upper arm i'm like get the upper arm done so that like If that's not broken, I can like move my arm to help you get the X-ray of the bottom piece. And they X-rayed the top piece and it was like (laughs) the worst break I've seen on myself. Um, It was just like jagged all the way through. There was a Mm -hmm. few floating pieces and it was like very, like very broken.
2: (laughs) Um, To be honest, I've never heard of anyone anyone breaking that bone before.
1: Yeah, no, it it doesn't hurt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) you just hitting the right spot. You just don't feel it, right? Oh, my God.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it's all good. But, but that injury ended up, like, the recovery on that was so long. And, like, I didn't get good strength in that arm for, like, another three years. Um, And so from that, I didn't have the strength to really ride that season. And I tried to race Worlds with it. But it was so weak. I just would take off the first jump at um, the Columbia track and that first jump had the like a really like kicky lip and yeah. so one arm would be strong and the other arm would just collapse and I just um the first time I tried it I almost crashed and I was like shit okay that's the first time like next time we we'll be good second time almost crashed again I was like all right third time's gonna be like I've got it and then the third time I crashed and um ended up breaking my shoulder on the other side oh. <laughs> um but I was like you know strap it up let's get back on the gate like if I, this is the last chance to try and qualify for the olympics like i'm gonna give it everything obviously didn't qualify but like i knew that i'd done everything i could and and that was all that's all you can do really mm-hmm. is whatever if it's an olympic medal or it's not qualifying for olympics at all the fact that i knew that i'd done everything i could within my power to the best of my ability allowed me to just sit okay with it but to come back, maybe I shouldn't be manualing whole straights anymore. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I mean, the chance of crashing is like—it's just such a normal thing to work on. And it's just like, obviously, it went horrible, and you ended up crashing. You're like, "Fuck, I didn't need to do that." But I mean, yeah, it's like.
1: But like I said, there's like, no way of
2: knowing that's going to happen obviously and
1: exactly exactly and what like not play around in your bike that's i know it's like i did it so it's just the thing it sucked but
2: that's yeah. the thing it's like you can't you can't not ride like you have to be sharp okay. you have to work on your skills and sometimes yeah you're gonna get bit by it but what's the alternative you just don't ride you know yeah. it's like
1: don't work on your skills how's it yeah. gonna go
0: <laughs> exactly so yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Well, we got a lot of, um, quick shots from riders. James, you want to go to the quick shots?
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to ask one more question, Sarah. I wasn't super keen on like interested in asking at first, but we had multiple pe- people ask this one. So I thought I'd give you a chance before we get to the quick shots. They're asking about, yeah. uh, how, what, how is it having Ken in the program? Because he was there for your stint before the Olympics. Um, and then obviously he was only, he was there for like, that, to kind of a short time because he left right after that. Was that right?
1: well he came in as the coach right before 2008 olympics and he was there through to 2012 so it's like four and and a half years
0: okay the full cycle okay
1: Yeah, yeah yeah so like um yeah i got a lot from him and like i i really honestly to this day think like i wouldn't be the person and the writer i am now without him on the program um we didn't always gel personality wise but like I can genuinely and authentically say that I was so prepared for London because of the entire team, including Ken. Um, like I said earlier, like I felt like there were no gaps and I went into that race like so ready to perform. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't just Ken, like there was Ryan Hollows, who was just like solid right through from like the grant white days who was also like, had his strengths as as a coach and like, then right through to like not having a program, Ryan was there right through the whole thing. And he was, he was a staple in the New
0: Zealand town. I remember him there for many years. Yeah, he
1: was, yeah. And like, he worked with my psychologist on not just how to work with me, but himself. And so he grew as a person Working on the same similar things I was working on, so like we just our relationship over like I think it was like 12 13 seasons working together. It was just like we'd get to races, and I'd bring into world champs when I was no longer funded. Like, I would pay for him to come, and in the ideal world, he'd just like literally be a drink bottle holder. But if shit hit the fan, like he would just be able to say like one or two sentences that would just be like, yeah, like. I, there's no explanation needed. There's no background. It's just like, yeah. So, no, I, I like right through my career, there's just a whole bunch of people that allowed me to grow in all different ways and become the person that I am and which allowed me to be the writer that I had been.
0: Having those people that just know to say the right things at the right times are yeah, very needed for, for athletes.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah and and having having that solid team was just like being able to replicate that somewhat with the tve guys Mm -hmm. in the last um seasons through to tokyo like i was very fortunate to have that relationship as well like I, i think looking back on my entire career like there's not necessarily specific races that are the highlights but just like the people that i got to meet and be part of and the relationships that i formed and like those are the cool things that i look back on the most and enjoy or feel the most like pride and the most enjoyment and the most like happy yeah yeah
0: that's cool um quick shots to you sorry yeah we do have a bunch of quick shots right let me open mine up
2: sure yeah yeah let's get to them Um, From Megan Williams, if you could give some advice to 18-year-old Sarah, what would it be?
1: I think believe that you're capable of winning an Olympic medal earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then accept that you can fail. Like Those two lessons were for sure the best lessons I'd learned.
0: Uh, This one is from Kyle Hill. How did the TVE move near the end of your career come about?
1: Um, Well, yeah, like I've been traveling and and staying with Laura um, for many seasons before that. And I guess we didn't have a national team, and I wanted to figure out a way to feel like I was part of a team and have that support that was like even just a manager to go enter, or like someone to take video or if my bike needed some work and mechanic to work on it, like we didn't have any of that. So I needed to figure out a way to create that for me to be able to perform my best. And the TV team was like where that came in. But like me and Laura, like our relationship goes all the way back. Like she asked for my race jersey after I won the world title in 2009 <laughs> 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 and I don't think I signed it until like, I don't know, like 2016 or something like that. I don't know. But like we we go way back. And we've been I, I helped her out in um 2016. There was a race in Norway and I saw like she was so talented and so good on her bike. And uh, I was just like, you know, like you could make the Olympics this year um she'd never made a final (laughs) and basically we'd WhatsApp like every day leading into Pappendale that year and um she made the final at Pappendale and qualified for the Olympics and then the next final she was in was the Olympic Games won the Olympic medal and then the next final she was in was uh the Canada World Cup and she won the World Cup so like (laughs) her rise was just like so steep but um we've been like friends since then and I even had her as my bridesmaid at my wedding and um, so the link was there but I've always been in in the mindset that um, the worst thing that people can say is no and so you might as well ask um, or try or whatever it is so not a short answer but I think it's important (laughs) to give the context on that one
0: (laughs) yeah that's fair that's fair
1: yeah
2: um from lazy wheezy thoughts on cycling new zealand trying to steal all our good bmx races for track cycling and did they ever try to get you to do track
1: um yes i tried track i did t- track for two months i won a national title in the team sprint but um i was told to pick bmx or track and i chose bmx um did to
0: be fair,
1: like yeah like, is BMX uh, is New Zealand the only one that's looking to try and get BMXs across the track? Every country, every <laughs> country, and like it's probably taken them a lot longer than every other country to do that. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's it's the person's choice. Like Rebecca Pitch is like insanely fast on the track bike, and I think that she's made the decision for her, herself, and she's got. She's already won a Commonwealth Games gold medal from doing that switch, so like I reckon, good on her and full support to her. But it's not always about the sports stealing the athletes; it's about the athlete making their own decision. And if they want to go track, then good on them.
2: I think uh, I think every like federation's track program just salivates at the BMXers. That it's like <laughs> we need we need them. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I heard like Romain might, you could like walk, could, yeah. He could like walk on to the French team. They would love to have
0: him. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Not surprised.
0: Crazy. Uh, next one here from Scott wire. Um, I don't know if this question is, And uh, do you find it challenging to stay a consistent athlete on the bike while being a parent? Are
1: you still riding? Um, I've done mountain bike riding. Uh, my brother said, let's go for a two hour ride. And it was like four and a half hours later. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I haven't done a lot of BMX since um, being a mum. But I definitely, I haven't ever officially retired. So I think I'm just going to be a BMXer for life. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a great um, show for
0: that. If that's what you're coming out with, we do a great <laughs> job at people. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, No, I like the idea of not ever like I don't know. I don't need to officially retire from anything. Like BMX will always be part of part of me and part of what I've been and done and continue to do. Because when I didn't when I found out I wasn't making the uh, Olympic team for 2020, the first thing I did was grab my bike and go ride at the track, and still enjoyed riding my bike and that was like a goal of mine was to get to the those kind of points in my career and realize that it's not just about going to Olympics or it's not just about getting a result it's actually jumping on my bike and enjoying riding it and the fact that I didn't make the team and that was the first thing I did I was really proud of myself that I had maintained that integrity of like enjoyment in what I do
2: um from mason james 381 do you have a prediction of who's going to win the world champs for male and female this year
1: i haven't watched a lot of racing because i've been quite busy but i mean can't go past laura laura smolders for the uh woman although i I do reckon meryl's going to give her a, a good challenge um it'd be cool to see them go one and two again i'm not sure laura will be stoked if meryl goes one and she goes two though um and then for the men, like I don't know, I, I watched grands and and was really impressed at Joris being able to like mm-hmm. just show yeah. everyone what he's capable of still. Um. So, but then like, yeah, there's there's so many. I think the guys is a lot harder to for me to make a call on because I I'm, I'm more invested in the women's side. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, this next one from Laura Smulders, she just says best memories, but you guys have way too many. So I'm going to give you two and you're going to have to pick It's two. not a short answer. No. So I'm going to give you two here. So, uh, what memory I'm going to give you two great, I'm going <laughs> to give you <two> great memories. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what your great memories are. I know that one could turn into such a long Fantastic, answer question. All right. Excellent. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get to this. All right. Uh, 2012 Olympic Games after the finish line, celebrating with her or your wedding, yeah. having her as your bridesmaid. Which one is like, oh, which oh. one stands out the most to you? Doesn't have to be the best, but which one stands out now the most?
1: I, I can't separate those.
0: Hey, your, probably, well, your husband doesn't listen
2: to coffee chatter, so it's fine. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, I know, but like it, the wedding wasn't just the wedding. Like, She came over and we did like a whole summer of writing and that was like just so cool we had perfect weather every day so like i want to say maybe
0: oh, that's a core memory I say that's the a wedding. Good one.
1: yeah but <laughs> i mean the moment of like after the olympic final when we both won medals like oh,
0: that's pretty good too isn't it
1: it's a once in a lifetime thing <laughs> as well next question <laughs>
2: <laughs> um for bethany shriever what do you miss most about bmx
1: um, the people, yeah, like turning up mm, to a, yeah. to a wherever and just riding bikes with people who love riding bikes. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's the coolest part about what we do. Yeah.
0: Um, from Jesse Smith, BMX, um, uh, has a coach or a mentor been more beneficial for you in your BMX career while at the peak of your BMX career?
1: uh my psychologist so I don't know that doesn't it's neither I guess but we'll say mental instead of mentor mentor <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I uh, probably 90% of the work I do with my psych was uh about growing myself as a person and then 10% was like how do we do this on bike but um like just being challenged of like what I do and and the way that I do it um like it was life changing, so for sure that.
2: Uh, from Melinda McLeod, favorite after party location on the world tour. There's always an after party <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what? Like uh, the one I'm most stoked on is 2013 World Champs in New Zealand.
2: That one was uh, electric.
1: <laughs> I organized the the after party. I opened a club just for all the BMXs and like got. A whole bunch of like freebies and it was just it was a really cool yeah cool really
2: that's
1: cool. <laughs> I, I can't describe yeah, how that was amazing a, that was
2: that was yeah. a good time that one was that was a really good one yeah. yeah
1: and being able to show like the world my home and like our um not kindness what's the word like
2: hospitality
1: hospitality we'll go with that one yeah
0: that's a good one um, uh, from Torrens Sam, what's your favorite track in New Zealand to ride? And do you have any plans on being back in the sport, maybe as a coach or administrator, etc.? Uh,
1: favorite track in New Zealand, uh, probably the Rotorua track, um, or the TR motor track. It's lots. We've got some really cool tracks in New Zealand. You really, yes, really um,
0: do. I've only seen videos, but they yeah. look great.
1: Yeah. Um, and then probably my you didn't ask this my favorite track in the world will probably be copenhagen um nice. when it's like running like mean mm-hmm. um and sports I, I don't know like for sure i'm gonna stay in sports for a long time um what it looks like i'm not sure but i i just want to help others be able to like grow as a person and have cool experiences in sport um and give back to kind of help others like experience something like I did or um yeah just how can I help and pass this on um because I feel so fortunate to be able to have had the career that I've had so far.
2: Is it yours or mine, James? I forgot who asked the last question. I did. Okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was judging by your silence. I was like, it's fine. fine. <laughs> um, from KLS931 advice for a female getting the confidence to jump at age 26 how to get rid of mental block? It's a good question.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm good at the whole fear thing because I mean, like every time I rode my bike, I was probably afraid. <laughs> um, so I, I guess it's just, a matter of like overcoming the fear or putting the fear to the side and accepting that that's going to be there. You can't necessarily take it away and it's okay to be afraid of something. Um, So I think guys understand less because biologically men develop fear later in life, but women develop it earlier. Um, And so, yeah, for me, it would be either going through the process of like, what do I need to do in order to do that jump? So it might be like, the pedaling leading up to it, like the pre-load before you take off and like how much you push off the takeoff and and doing all those steps as good as you can and then accepting that, like hopefully that will take you through into the landing (laughs) (laughs) and visualizing like it happening. So going through and like if I do the pedal, take off and land in my head, each time I feel more confident that I can do it then go and just go for it um and then yeah at some point or sometimes there's no matter what mental technique you do to try and overcome the fear it's not going away like there's been times where every time i visualized a jump i've seen myself crash and it might be like 10 15 times i visualize it and every time i crash and it's like well the only thing left right now is to like ignore my brain deciding that i'm going to crash every time i do this and just go for it and trust that my body can take over um so i try for 99 percent of the time i'll use my mind to try and overcome that fear and then that last percent if it's not working is to trust my body and (laughs) just send it (laughs) and hope that it works out and that my body proves to my mind that it was wrong
0: Sometimes you just got to send it.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: That's great advice. Yeah. Uh, and this next one here from Ariel Martin, AMV15. Uh, worst person to be next to in the gate?
1: Oh, man. Back in the day, it was definitely Sinead's because you knew she was beating you out.
0: She <laughs> was a beast.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and she, she would often, like, she would not not go straight down the hill either, so it was quite intimidating. Um, that that for sure. Um, nowadays, it's like, man, I felt like the the competition was so much more. Like the depth of the competition was so high that you had to do your best gate every single time. Otherwise, every single person on the gate was not someone you wanted to be next to. Yeah. <laughs>
2: All right. Chipotle or In-N-Out?
1: Chipotle.
0: Ugh, it's a tough one. <laughs> tough one. I don't like when people say Chipotle. I'm always looking for an In-N-Out. Um, uh, favorite <laughs> show on Netflix right now?
1: Ooh. I am um, just started watching Kaleidoscope.
2: Kaleidoscope, okay. I've Be- never heard of that. What is it?
1: Uh, every episode is in a different order for every person who watches it on netflix and wow you get a different perspective and it's over like a a bank heist um so yeah seems like real different and real interesting so i'm getting into it Hmm. yeah
2: like fiction or is it what yeah Yeah. what's it called
1: kaleidoscope
2: kaleidoscope okay you know the things
1: that that you look through and it yeah wow okay
0: yeah. <laughs> also, we might need to change that question to uh, streaming platforms, because nowadays- Yeah, what's your favorite
1: <laughs> on a streaming platform? Yeah. I mean, if you ask me in a year, it'll probably be like like 100% Disney Plus uh, for yeah, our, <laughs> probably our daughter, will,
2: yeah.
1: it'll be like a very different answer.
2: <laughs> it's funny, like Netflix was like first to market, so everyone just says, oh, wait, let's watch some Netflix. Like, it's almost like when you say, oh, pass me Kleenex, even though it's called a tissue, like they've just, yeah. they were the first one, but there's so many platforms now. It's crazy.
0: It's true. Yeah. Jacuzzi. It's yeah. another one. Um, any other, any other quick shots, James? Um, I did want to ask. Wait, 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 wait. Jacuzzi is a brand? Jacuzzi is a brand. Yeah.
2: I, I, I didn't know that actually.
0: That's I know. Cause everyone just calls it. Hey, let's yeah, hit the wow. Jacuzzi.
2: Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: <laughs> um. This is a would you rather question that you have both of that most people don't have the opportunity to answer. This question with the background you do. Would you rather? Oh, that's a good
2: question. Good thinking, James.
0: Would you rather have a a BMX elite BMX world championship or an Olympic silver medal?
1: Olympic medal, yeah, hundred percent. And I think in your earlier episode you said three world titles and one Olympic medal. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I would count, like, I won world, uh, elite worlds on Cruiser um, twice and then elite worlds on 20-inch once. So I'm like, technically, I could argue grey area maybe yep. that I've done that. <laughs> um, and I'd still pick one Olympic medal, and so, it, silver or bronze even. But I, I think it depends on the country you're from. Like, in a country yeah, like New Zealand, um, winning a medal is humongous in any colour um where winning a medal in um say america uh, even a gold medal can get like mixed in with all the other gold medals so um I, th- I think in that sense very fortunate that i'm from new zealand and and winning a silver is it was um it was a big deal
2: <laughs> yeah it's 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 i mean olympic medal is just so recognizable even people who don't follow sport if they know you're an olympic medalist they know what it is where it's like He's saying, yeah. oh, you're like World Cup champion or world champion. It's like, oh, okay. They don't really know how big that is.
1: No. And, and I think like winning a world title, like you can get internal spon- sponsorship within BMX, but like in mm-hmm. Olympics takes it beyond BMX. It takes it way further and like mainstream. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have had the sponsors that I had outside of BMX had it not been Olympic sport. Yeah. All right, I
0: got I got one more tea.
2: Okay,
1: go
0: for it. Awesome. Would you rather race a semi-final lap around the two thousand eight Beijing Supercross track with three chainring bolts or three stem bolts?
1: Ooh, chainring bolts because you don't need to pedal that much on That's that track. The right
0: Come on, sir, let's go. I set that one up for as success. Long as,
1: I, <laughs> as long as I can make it out of the gate, like. Sweet, we're good. We're going. Just
0: ease the two,
2: three. Sarah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good to catch up with you. It's Smooth it was good to catch up with you. I haven't seen you in a long time. So it was good to chat with you. I'm happy you're doing well. And it was it was really cool to hear about your career and um yeah, how you grew as a person your mindset. So thanks, thanks for sharing with
1: us. Hey, no, thank you so much for having me on. Um, no, it was it was cool. I was I was not sure whether to do it or not because I'm like in the whole like mum life headspace at the moment, but it's um, it's actually been really enjoyable to like reflect on on a few moments and people and like connect with you guys again. So, thank you.
2: You know what? You know what? I was gonna say, sorry to interrupt, James. You know what's really cool is like we'll we'll talk to people like you who who haven't been racing the last couple of years or like we had Baba on recently, and it's cool. Like they'll start talking, and then once you when you when everyone starts talking about like their biggest accomplishments their career, there's so much passion and everyone just remembers everything. And it's so cool to see like you guys light up talking about it. It's, it's cool for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I look forward to telling some of those stories to my daughter one day and, uh, for sure she's going to be riding a bike at some point, but, um, yeah, well, she's so strong. So, uh, I'm excited to see what she does and being able to like guide her and, probably more so on the mental stuff that i learned and if she chooses bmx then i guess i'm riding bmx for life <laughs> 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 but um no I, I yeah like i said so stoked to catch up with you guys again and and thank you very much for having me on and and for the cool memory memory lane trip
0: that was yeah. awesome cool. yeah thanks so much sir. i really appreciate it
1: thanks sarah Yes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, what's this friggin'
0: podcast all about? I don't get it, man. Coffee chatter?
1: Get off my back, um, guy. <laughs> you have to be fast in the truck.
0: I hate that guy. <laughs>